Hi everyone and welcome to The Mind Behind It. My name is Huda. And I am Sahil. Professor and psychotherapist Michael Drain. I host the Unpopular Culture Podcast. It's a forensic psychology and pop culture podcast where I do character analysis. Recently, I'm doing one on the Queen's Gambit and our Marty Bird from Ozark. Mm. But okay, we also do I've... we we follow we study cults and serial killers, stalker behavior, that kind of stuff. All right, first things first. Um, <laughs> well, because I just finished watching Queen's Gambit, maybe. A week 10 days ago mm-hmm. and um i found it how it was one of the most slow burn shows i've ever watched and i like the first couple of episodes i like it takes you a while to get into it yeah and and then once i got into it like i was hooked but what i found really interesting is how the sales of chess boards all around the world just skyrocketed huh. it's like people were bought do, do you know about that people I were buying that. so many chess boards suddenly chess became the most popular game so tell me about the character tell me about <laughs> I love her. how this is going oh, no i want to know about wait her for the because... show because i actually haven't gotten all the way through it yet I'm, that's what i'm doing this oh. week. Okay, well, I'm just gonna shut up then. <laughs> but stay, sorry to disappoint, but stay tuned. I'll have I'll have it for you. I'm I'm doing with this guy named Thomas Flight, who owns a, he has a YouTube channel where he does character analysis on her. So I'm gonna bring some psychology bits, and he does uh, some kind of analysis around the way it's shot, the way the uh, the show's actually shot. So it should be really interesting. Uh, which... I haven't actually watched it, so now well, now if you've seen Ozark, like... I can talk all about Marty Bird. I watched that. Uh, I, I'm a massive Ozark fan as well. It's really funny because um, Jason Bateman is one of my favorite actors. Mm. And, you know, when you watch him in... I don't know if you watched um, Arrested Development. Ever. Oh, yes. I love that show. It's, it's one of my favorite shows. Yeah. Just because he plays the straight guy so well. Yeah, he does. But he brings his own wackiness to it. You know, he has a podcast with uh, Will Arnett, yeah. right? He's one of those people. And apparently Ozark was his dream show to make. Like, that's the kind of work he wanted to produce. Yeah, he's a hell and of a like, director. Oh, I, I, I don't know how he can direct and act at the same time. That's, that's the part. <laughs> yeah, but you, you'll, yeah, you'll see like a director. Like, I'm a huge Star Trek nerd. And I know like Jonathan Frakes used to do directing and acting he'd be like directing in the star trek uniform and then go in and shoot the scene he's in and then go back behind the camera it is kind oh of my cool god because <laughs> in a way the the director if you're the director and the actor then you get to control how you act and what that scene looks like so it probably gives you a lot of freedom i would think it would drive me fucking crazy if i was on set <laughs> Because imagine being the other actor. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's like it's too a- much control. It's like everything is being controlled, so I hate it. Okay. So we'll just start with us playing the game. Mad Lib, I'm going to ask... Is, what is Mad Lib? In the dialogue, there are gaps where the person who doesn't know what the dialogue says has to fill in. Okay. I'm ready for it. Me too. Very excited. <laughs> well, you're going to be... You're going to be the one filling it in, and then you have to read it out at the end. Okay. All right. Give me an adjective. Um, squishing. All right. A verb ending in ed. Photographed. Yeah, my, my a a plural gone. noun. Uh, cockerings. Oh, how do you spell? Oh, cockerings. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Cock. Unless that's I don't not. Know. If that's if that's too graphic it. for you guys, I guess. Oh, it. not at all. No, but also there's a problem with. I'm I'm kind of nerved by the fact that someone's using the plural of that. Anyone who's going into a shop and going, I want a cock ring. No, 
two cathartics. No, no, not just one. They had the oh, they yeah. had to buy one get one free, so I had to get three of them. Yeah, because you know they break. It's like <laughs> okay, I I do have a question here, Michael. When they say cock rings, whose cock is it? Whoever Usually. whoever oh. the lucky winner is, that's who's cock ring. The lucky winner. Yeah. That's that's like way too big a risk. Well, I can we... I can barely get Huda a gift. <laughs> but with three of them, you don't really have to choose just one, right? Oh yeah, fair fair enough. Yeah, Good point. Sorry. Just okay, just... well, what? Uh, give me a liquid. Um, uh, kerosene. <laughs> oh yep. Is it K? No. I think so. Yes. <laughs> Mind my spelling. <laughs> Uh, another noun that's plural. Um, diapers. Okay. A famous person. Um, Jason Bateman. Uh, nice. <laughs> Good one. Thank you. Place. Thank you. Um, the seventh circle. L. Occupation. Gynecologist. I'm I'm tired. It's late. You... I got sexual late at night. It's weird. Why, why it's like perfect timing. Yeah. I feel like I've spelled gynecologist wrong, but whatever. Okay. Noun. You were having issues with kerosene. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm like horrible at spelling sometimes. And math. Yeah, that's true. All right. You want a you want a noun? A, noun. a singular noun? Yes. Tombstone. All right. Nationality. Anglo-American. A female celebrity. Who's a female celebrity? I don't know my celebrities very <laughs> Surely well. Surely that's not hard. <laughs> Who's the, oh, you would be surprised. Who's the lady that plays the, the Queen's Gambit? That girl. Oh, fuck. I actually don't know anything about it. Just choose Angelina Jolie. Angelina Jolie. Excellent choice. <laughs> it's because of the cock rings. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Screws Another noun? Another noun. Um, swivel chair. And a female friend? One of my female friends? Um. Oh, uh, we'll say Ashley Haynes Gibson. She's my friend on UPC, and she'll get a kick oh. out. What a great name, Ashley. Ashley Gibson. Gibson. Mm-hmm. Um, a plural noun. Keychains. We're almost keychains. A number. Thirteen. And an adjective. Sleeping. Alrighty. Okay, here we go. This is a personal ad, by the way. Oh, good. Yes. <laughs> Please plug my name immediately after I read I will. this. All right, Jason, this one's for you. Uh, I'm going to get my podcast voice on here. <clears throat> I enjoy long, squishing walks on the beach, getting photographed in the rain with serendipitous encounters with cock rings. I really like pina coladas mixed with kerosene and romantic candlelit diapers. I'm well read from Dr. Seuss to Jason Bateman. I didn't know he wrote. I travel frequently, especially to the seventh circle of hell. Boy, is that true. When I'm not busy with work. (laughs) I am a gynecologist. I am looking for the tombstone and beauty in the form of Anglo-American goddess. (laughs) She should have the physique of Angelina Jolie and the swivel chair of Ashley Gibson. (laughs) You can find her on Instagram. I would prefer if she knew how to cook clean and wash my keychains because <laughs> they are filthy that's true and oh. listen i know i'm not very attractive in my picture but it was taken 13 days ago 
And I have since become more sleeping. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, listen, for me, it's it's eight o'clock at night on Monday and I've had a long ass day and I am becoming more sleeping. I can feel it. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Now yeah. we can just get into it. What a wonderful we need, experience. We thank need, you for that. See, I wouldn't be good at this. I do like the way you read it too. Oh, it thank was you. very promising. Okay. All right. Stop flirting. Excellent. Let's move on. Oh my God. <laughs> you are seriously the worst. Okay. Seriously <laughs> so the worst. Oh, God. <laughs> Hey, Michael, actually, uh, can I ask a question? Of course. When did people start using superlatives so freely? Like, you are the worst. You know, like, people just use that, like, in everyday conversation. You're, like, the best. Yeah. Well, like, people love to think in all or nothing ways. It's simpler huh. to be, like, you're all this or you're all that or you're never this or you're never that. That's um, a natural tendency that all humans do automatically. And I think the rest of it's cultural because it's just easier to say what everybody else is saying. It makes you yeah. part of the tribe. And it's, it's really big in American culture as well because... Yeah. I remember when I was at uni in Michigan, I was I was going on the bus and this girl sitting f in front of me said, this is like the best pasta ever. <laughs> That's a good American accent. Yeah. Like she thought the cafeteria pasta was the best pasta ever. Ever, ever, ever. Like, ever. That's a little bit about her life experience, does it not? Or the lack thereof. Yeah, yeah. It, it, <laughs> but, and, but, the, but her friend was like, oh my God, totally. <laughs> they just agreed with it. <laughs> yeah, and that really bothered me. That... I All love righty. you Aussies, man. Fuck off. That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, off. Fuck off. It's true, we do. Fuck off, cunt. <laughs> Fuck off, man. Oh, I'm gonna have crazy. to put so many beeps in here. People, people love. Well, I think we lost all our G raiders at uh, cock rings, did oh, we, we not? And we thought we were edgy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and you thought we were gonna talk about psychology, you silly bitches. <laughs> so, what have I walked into? <laughs> it's just you <laughs> into and a cock ring. <laughs> yeah, shouldn't have caught me so late at night. Now I'm all delirious. <laughs> so and this is going back a little bit. Don't fuck with cats. We'll start with there. Yes, that's it. We talked about how he went from being a model, not getting any attention, to then online killings of cats and then killing humans. Okay, so the question is, why do serial killers usually start with animals? <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm Kuda, really bad at interviewing. Kuda is really good at interviews. She's <laughs> podcasting. I'm so clear and concise. Um, she's literally the most. Yeah, I was gonna go. I was gonna go back star. to that too. <laughs> she's oh, we're on this bright minds, Michael. Yes, yeah, sir. Yes, I'll piss sir. Off. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> He's so. Oh, I love your accents. It's so great. My uh, Dr. Owen lives in Melbourne too. He's a friend of mine. It's on the show all the it's time. It's Melbourne, Michael. Melbourne? Yeah, right. Uh, it's Mel Melbourne. Melbourne. We're lazy. Yeah, <laughs> Melbourne. It's like a schwa for the bun. I'm like Melbourne. American, so I'm like Melbourne. Yeah. Melbourne. Just emphasize every word. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, Luca Magnata. That case is somewhat <laughs> ambiguous because... Um, at least from the documentary and the research I found, there's not a lot on his background. Normally you see, okay. I mean, there's some kind of evidence that his mom is a little bit narcissistic and maybe sort of put some of this in him. But from what I know about the case and what I remember, it's, he is a, his development his, to a psychopathy is a little bit uh, ambiguous to me. Yeah. In general, though, serial killers will start off with small animals for a few reasons. Number one, it's more socially acceptable. So if you got caught mutilating a cat, although that's awful, it's not okay. as punishable as mutilating a person. Yeah. Second, they usually start when they're younger and animals are easier to find and they're more vulnerable and nobody's going to miss them. Serial killers will also, uh, you know, attack hitchhikers and strays and people who are more vulnerable. There yeah. are a lot of killers will specifically target people because they're vulnerable. So homeless people, things like that. And, and animals yeah. are kind of extended of that. The third reason is just because um, it's a kind of ramp up period. Think about drugs. You don't usually go right to heroin and methamphetamine. 
campaigns, right? You start with liquor and marijuana and there's a ramp up period and it's a kind yeah. of gateway. So animals are a kind of gateway for a serial killer to explore their craft and, and they are discovering their killing patterns yeah. the way a person discovers their sexuality. I was literally going to say it's like how it goes from sex to cock rings. Right, exactly. You start with a cock <laughs> ring and then before you know it, you, <laughs> you got start three with cock, cock rings. Ring. <laughs> Then you get the vagina ring. Go the other way around. Then you get it stuck, so you got to call your gynecologist. (laughs) Which is you, which is me. Apparently, I am a gynecologist. Um, no, so it, it's a kind of ramp up period. It's it's a way to yeah. timidly explore uh, because the, the the pathology behind a serial killer is very much like a sexual pathology. You you don't start off full blown doing all the things that an adult does. You you make your way up to you know first yeah. base, second base, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So you said it was interesting because he had no real background and he didn't start from when he was young. Um. Well, we don't know. Well, we don't. I, I, yeah, but... I simply don't know. I don't know one way yeah. or the other. Um. And I know this is completely off topic for some reason. Reason this came to me. Um, Xavier Dupont from, do you remember that case? It was Xavier Dupont de Lou, I don't know how to say the last name. I'll butcher it if I try. The French one that he killed his entire family. Oh, the one. And buried them. Yeah, we watched that. Didn't I tell you about that one? Yeah, we watched it. Do you know about it? No, but I know other cases where they've killed their family and buried them in the backyard. It's actually disturbingly more common than you might think. Her Baumeister, so, for example, John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like with that sort of stuff, a lot of the people often say it was completely unexpected right which it's kind of scary if there's no telltale signs i mean it's like you don't know if a person's going to just do that well it's it's a little bit like um like again it's like drug use usually the people who are closest to the drug user don't are the people that don't see it right because you you yeah. have you have a affinity towards that person and, and it's easy for you to throw up defense mechanisms and rationalizations when you see something weird going on mm-hmm. in fact in ozark this happens where uh jonah the son starts what they think is mutilating animals and they immediately mm-hmm. get to work rationalizing the two parents do mm-hmm. rationalizing oh well he's always been a little weird and maybe it's just a phase and they start throwing up all these things because they don't want to accept what might be going on but to mm-hmm. the credit of the serial killer they they're very good at faking emotions they've, they've spent their whole life perfecting that after all yep. that's how they got into a marriage and had kids and things in the first place yeah and what know. might be going on so say you know um the parent went it's just going through a phase and you know there's denial so what do you think is actually going on if i saw a, a kid that kid mutilating yeah. an animal yeah yeah how do we even bring that up uh well my mind i would immediately go to the antisocial personality or a precursor to psycho psychopathy unfortunately there's a possibility yeah. it's it's internalized trauma um so they could be sexually or physically or otherwise uh being abused they have a lot of confusion and pain that's coming out and they're taking it out on on animals that's my secondary hypothesis it's not as likely in my head but it's possible and, and that would be hard to treat i argue that trauma is hard is easier to treat than psychopathy but yes, they're both very challenging to treat and very hard. Trauma and psychopathy. How are they different? Well, internalized trauma, psychopathy is a is a somewhere on the spectrum, a lack of emotions and a disregard for other people. And then further up the spectrum, it's you actually have a lust, a, a kind of lust. It's not quite sexual, but it's kind of the same mechanism, uh, the mm-hmm. same compulsion and drive to hurt and harm other people, to watch them suffer. Um, there's killers that used to, you know, they just like the sight of blood, blood in the moonlight. Yeah. Okay. I think uh, mm-hmm. Ed Gein used to go out and dance around naked and see blood naked yeah um trauma is not the lack of empathy
empathy. So if you smacked your thumb with a hammer, your thumb would swell up and turn purple and start to kind of throb, right? There, it's a your, mm-hmm. your thumb has a reaction to the pain that it experienced. Well, the brain doesn't really know the difference between physical and emotional pain. And to prove this, they, um, they gave a person who was grieving, a, a whole group of people actually who were grieving, uh, Tylenol, a mild pain reducer. And those people after taking the Tylenol reported diminished symptoms of sadness. Oh. So something's being numbed there. It's, it's exactly. Yeah, okay. It's happening. Well, sometimes it's funny because a lot of the time when you do deal with heartbreak, it does actually feel like a physical breaking. Yes. And yeah. your body does show signs. Yeah, 100%. Physiologically. 100%. Absolutely. And, and it is a kind of trauma. But trauma mm. is, you know, an internalized pain that is sort of stuck in the brain. It can manifest in all kinds of ways. But one of the most common ways is the amygdala, the walnut-sized part of your brain is, is going, it's your red alert system and it's just going off the way a thumb would throb so does uh-huh. your brain kind of throb it becomes hyper yeah. and just like if your thumb was broken and you touched it it would be sensitive to the touch it would hurt so does mm-hmm. your brain uh, become sensitive to extra stimulus that it could otherwise handle so that's why any you know your cup is already emotionally full you can't even handle going to work or anything else sometimes it's just this mm-hmm. total shutdown process hmm, that's really interesting so for psychopaths the amygdala um does it not get activated as much not as easily no so, uh, mm. psychopaths have something called high stress immunity meaning they're they um it takes a lot for them to become under threat and feel like they're under threat they're not as they're more cool under pressure which is why they're fine taking these giant risks and killing people and doing really uh heinous things without worrying about the consequences too much if you watch like the richard ramirez trial or the ted bundy trial they're sitting in the trial just cool as a cucumber they're just not, chill they don't look worried at all right whereas mm. the three of us would be probably scared out of our minds if we were on trial for yeah. murder they're fine they're like whatever and the other side of the coin for that is that they they because they're so emotionally numb and they're so immune to stress that they also need a lot of stimulus to experience any kind of fulfillment or, or emotional enjoyment, which is part of why they go off and oh, hurt people. So yeah. for Luca Magnotta then, it wasn't enough to just kill animals, but what, you could correct me, Michael, but what, what he actually did enjoy was other people watching it. Getting attention yeah there's like a vague part to it right like and i guess a lot of serial killers have that as well you know they get excited by the fact that they're tr- playing a game with the cops and it becomes a game true magnata was a uh, narcissistic psychopath not all of them are not all of them have mm. the ego that magnata has and the the craving for attention is somewhat common but at the level that magnata had it even before he was killing people he had all those fake accounts and he it wasn't enough to just put things on youtube he had to have these fake accounts to to make it seem like he was more popular he was than he famous was. He was or blowing up. Right. That's a great idea for it's a podcast as well. What? <laughs> to blow it up? <laughs> to, blow- <laughs> to create all these fake accounts. Well, yeah, it happened I didn't have enough time. But then, but then stop. That okay, happens. don't get on to the rest of the stuff. He'd- so many people on Instagram, you know, follow themselves from different Instagram accounts to make <laughs> the following go up. Sure. Like well, that's it, a lot of effort. But it happens it more commonly than we think. Like, yes, we give up because we're like, fuck, we can't be bothered with this shit. Mm. But oh, there's some people pe- out there. If who... people like us, they'll like us. <laughs> like... Yeah, exactly, right? So we don't care. But some people are going, no, nah, this is the most important thing in my life. Magnata seemed to have a kind of uh, hole in him that was never able mm. to really be filled by any amount of attention. And that makes you wonder what happened in his upbringing that left that hole there. Was he neglected as a child? Was he abused as a child? Was he somehow made to feel less than? Or was it more genetic than that? Was he just mm. kind of born that way? And it, and it was just a little bit of environmental reinforcement. And I don't know the answer to that but it's mm-hmm. an interesting question what are your thoughts on nature versus nurture then and yeah. is is calling it genetic 
a cop out. No, uh, no, I, I think I think genetics always play a role. It's so the common misconception is that it's nature versus nurture, as if it could only be one or the other. When in reality, it's nature and nurture. We're all a yeah, but nature versus nurture sounds better. <laughs> it does. It's true. No, it's it, cool. it, yeah, which one is it? It's really interesting. And no, it's so true. It's like people people love binary choices because people like simple things. You know, it's just easier. Mm. You don't have to think too hard. But the truth is, it's you're a combination of your genetics and your environment. We all are a combination of our nature, our genetics, and our nurture, our environment. And so when you look at a person's psychiatric profile, you always have to consider both facts because they it do really play a role. It's a matter of ratios. Maybe one plays way more role than the other, but yeah. it's never true that genetics don't play any factor or that environment plays yeah. no factor. That's never the, that's never the case. How does the law look down upon it when it comes to punishment? Because they don't differentiate between something like that. Not, oh, for, not in the States anyway. They'll, they you might get if you're lucky you'll get a documentary 20 years after you've been incarcerated where they feel sorry for you and your yeah. shitty upbringing but it doesn't and stop the punishment system from doing their thing do you think that there's something fucked up there do we would we consider it this person's fault at what point do you go well this person can't control it because it's in their genes yeah i know people that would compulsively attack people in the hospital they just couldn't help it impulsively mm -hmm. they'll just you're walking down and you pass them in the hall and they just sock you out uh they wow. can't even help it but does that does that then mean that we should give them a pass and let them continue on mm -hmm. in society hurting people? Yeah. So it's a controversial, uh, it you know, it's a it's a tricky question because it's like, while I can sympathize with the fact that you can't help it, I also need to keep you from hurting other people going forward. And so here in the States, we don't have a great remedy for that. The best thing we have is something called a forensic hospital where I used to work. So when you commit a crime, but you're mentally ill, instead of going to hardcore prison, you go to a forensic hospital where you serve the sentence for murder, you serve your 15, 30 years or whatever, but you also get psychiatric care as you're going along, rehabilitation programs. It's more geared towards acknowledging that you have a mental illness. So, so it's not a great like solution. winning the lottery for, for a lot of people who... Yeah. Why is it that people often don't care? Like as in if it's negative. Notoriety. Yeah. Oh yeah, notoriety. Yeah, yeah. Um, Again, I, I'd have to speak more generally than the Magnata case, but yeah, I don't know fine. enough about his background. But mm -hmm. I think of, you know, there's a there's a personality disorder called borderline personality disorder. Have you guys heard of that one? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's um, generally speaking, somebody who has been neglected and uh, abused in one way or another by their parents. And they grew up with two choices, either my mom and dad don't give me any attention or I act out and they give me some attention, but at least it's, oh, it's bad, but they give it to me. Right. At least I mm -hmm. get some wow. kind of need met. Um, and, and so they grow up with this kind of schema that like, well, any attention is good attention, even if it's bad attention. And I'm thinking of uh, uh, kidnapping victims and brainwash victims. They like Patty Hearst, for example, was locked in a room for days and days and days. And the guy, one guy would come in there and yell at her and tell her she sucked and she was a piece of shit and she's never getting out of there. And she, eventually started to crave that guy coming in there saying mm -hmm. because it mm -hmm. was better all that nothing. it was better than nothing right mm -hmm. they call that it's not battered wife syndrome <laughs> am i making syndromes up no it's well battered wife syndrome is a real thing um but okay actually to be more pc it's battered person syndrome now because anybody oh, can be yep yeah of course sorry about no that. uh yeah i'm totally offended <laughs> and i'm glad you apologized or i was i mean seriously call right now yeah it's no, disgusting. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm repulsed by oh. you. No, it was, it was, uh, 
you know, battered wife syndrome is basically a similar circumstance where they are, they learn to uh, love their abuser and have a kind of Stockholm syndrome for their abuser because they are- Stockholm syndrome, that's the word. But there's no abuse going on with Stockholm syndrome per se, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I have a question. Yeah. Um, we, we thought, uh, I think it's really easy to, you know, uh, watch a documentary like uh, Don't Fuck With Cats and think about Luca Mignotta. But I think there's something to be said about people loving the idea of watching something that fucked up and you know people the and i don't know why humans um don't accept that part of them which says that you know i actually love watching this like there's some sort of curiosity it might not be love but the curiosity to see fucked up things or Mm. know about the desire yeah yeah the really shitty things because obviously like you know they're the bunch of people who are watching those videos as well and there's people that look into Animal crush. Serial killer stuff and animal crush stuff. Yeah, and there are people out there who are who are into this. Oh my so, god, I don't even want to know what animal crush is. That sounds fucking terrible. I don't want yeah. to know what that is. Well, yeah. I'll tell you. Okay. Um, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thank God. Yeah. Like, I don't want to know. <laughs> um, but 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 those people are somehow you know because they're not killing, they they're still considered normal people of society. Yeah. But where does this urge in human beings come from to to look at violence? I think Freud explained this best with his idea of the superego and the id. I don't know if you guys know about this. I've heard about that, she but would you know, should explain but I, anyways. I don't know. All right. So Freud obviously was kind of like the grandfather of psychology, at least here in the States. That's how he's viewed. And his... He so he came, wasn't the father. He sure, was the father. father of psychology. I think he's the great grand uncle, personally. But <laughs> uncle. So weird things to say, grandfather of psychology. Do you like Jungian? I was trying to make it sound more epic. Uh, yes, I love Jung. <laughs> Carl Jung? Yeah, I prefer Jungian theories. Well, those are both housed in the same kind of psychology, psychodynamic theory. So Freud had this model for personality, explaining what personality is, and every theory has. So Freud proposed that we have in us, we have, and he grew up in a very uh, sexually repressed, class and gender stratified, we're talking like turn of the uh, 19th to 20th century, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, every if you ever looked at an old video from back then, everybody's dressed in the exact same outfit, super conformist, yeah. very repressed. So that's North where, Korea. So, so yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, North it, Korea, it, right? It's still happening, yeah. It's still happening now. Sure. No, and there's parts of the world where that's still a thing. So Freud grows up in that time, and that influenced his personality theory where he starts talking about the id, which is our inner uh, primal self that's more sexual, more violent, more carnal. Uh, mm-hmm. And then our superego, which is, so versus, and I actually can use a versus here, superego, which is your internalized morals imperatives from society, what your parents and what society told you was wrong. So here's an example. Imagine a three-year-old kid, five-year-old kid, preschool or whatever, sitting in a, playing with his friend Mm -hmm. or them. And the friend (laughs) takes, and the friend takes a toy away from the kid. Kid gets mad and goes, ah, that's my toy and punches the kid in the arm. Mm -hmm. That's a, we assume that's a natural thing for a child to do, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the parent comes along and says, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't hit people. That's wrong. Don't hit people. You need to share, right? So that is the kid's id, his natural human desire to punch and lash out at people mm-hmm. being suppressed mm-hmm. by the superego the moral imperatives that the society or oh, the parent yep. comes along mm-hmm. and imposes on them so a lot of our unhappiness comes from the trying to and our ego ourself sits in the middle of these two forces and tries to manage the desires of the id versus the the demands of the superego another example i like to use to describe this and and freud really believed that society would eat each other if it weren't mm-hmm. for morals and rules and I, the, in uh, new york in the 1970s 
80s, there was a citywide blackout. And for a 24-hour period or however long it was, there was looting and rioting like you would not believe. Mm-hmm. And people who would otherwise not commit a crime mm-hmm. started robbing and raiding TV stores. There's movies on that. Sure. Yeah. And it's not the only example. You see that all throughout history. Um, Hmm. But it shows that without society's rules, humans degrade into something more primal, more savage. Mm -hmm. And so Freud argued that we need those rules to to keep us in check. And more to your uh, question about... um, Why do we enjoy enjoy it? Yeah. When you think about it, we have always enjoyed that it's not yes. you don't have to go too far into history to watch entire villages coming out i was just studying the salem witch trials the other day and you don't have to go very far to watch everybody comes out to the public square to watch this person get ripped into pieces or hung or mm. something and they cheer mm. it on right mm. and they do that because of the there's a diffusion of responsibility if there, if yeah. you were the only person in the crowd you wouldn't be necessarily cheering on the person dying but because everybody's doing it with you there's a kind of mob mentality that sets in there's a, yeah. a, a kind of permission is granted for you to act more carnal and savage because everybody around you is doing it too so yeah it, i think freud was right on that it's our more primal uh human self that we are trying to evolve away from uh you know yeah. tribal warfare and killing each other and all these things by having society rules to keep us in check i watched this vice documentary a couple of months ago where they have this um a christmas day tradition in it's either brazil or argentina and uh the native people there so it's in a small particular tribe they actually their christmas day starts with them all being in a big ground and whoever has beef with anyone they fight each other until they're done and then they hug wow yeah they hug each other and it's done (laughs) but they get a chance to fight each other on that one day and that's what christmas is for them that's Christmas, and that's where Christmas comes from. And that's where, <laughs> no. well, I'd no. rather believe that. Than, um, now, where is Santa yeah. in all this? Is he standing at the pit? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Or... I did, um, and maybe I should probably read more about Freud, but did he do a lot of work on religion as well? Because religion was probably the other set of moral principles that was placed to, you know, take us away from that carnal need of, you know, violence. Yeah, I think religion was the ultimate restraint against society in that way um very puritan standards of the day where you were your very behavior and the people you associated with it was all very regulated and very uh controlled in a way it's not now for most people um Mm -hmm. and so yeah religion does act as a moral framework which is it's positive and negative quality about it right is and you see like the you know the dark side of religion come out all the time in the form of cults but there are plenty of people out there that practice religion and they're good people and they, you know, they're just doing their thing and it serves as a community and a moral framework for them. And that's great. Go for it. I have a cult question for him later on. So like hypothetically for like some really full on sexual fetishes that are out there that exist. Cock rings. Like cock rings. That's not even that. That's actually not even that full on compared oh, to the other stuff. You're talking as if you do that. I'm like, every, whatever. Every day. I go into Huda's room and it's just full of rings. It's just like a big swing. Yeah. <laughs> um, now three cock so, rings, that's full on, right? <laughs> so do you think people do those things more so because they're taboo or because they're like, oh, I want to give it a shot? Like, uh, because it, everyone's talking about it. I think it. it runs the gamut. I think I think some people are leaning lean into those things because it's taboo and it's a, it's a way to rebel against conformism Mm -hmm. as they see it and i think other people are just legitimately kind of honestly drawn to it fetishes are very uh similar to sexual orientation in that it's just it's kind of how you were born it's just sort of who you are you know Mm -hmm. um very rarely it'll be related to trauma or something else but Hmm. mostly it's it's more akin to uh sexual orientation what about dnm 
D- you mean S and M? Sorry, S and M. Because D M is deep and meaningful. Sorry, S and M. S and M. What about deep and meaningful? S and M. S and M can be D N M. It just depends on the day. What? Sorry, but S and M. Now maybe maybe that's an Australia thing. S and M. Are you trying to say B D S M? Like B D S M. Bondage, dominant, submissive, master. That's the one. Yeah. Now, well, where did S and M come from? No, initially it was S and M. It was a wider category. Yeah, yeah. And then now it's more specific in terms of. Adding B and D to it as right, well. Right. Am I right, Michael? Yes, that's my understanding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, so, so I think again, I think BDSM is something that's um, should be normalized in society. That's my own personal. I don't think it's something mm-hmm. that should be shamed or taboo um, because there's it. Anytime you see, there are rules attached. No, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. If you're if you're rising to the point where you're hurting somebody else or yourself, even you know, there, of course there's there's going too far with it. So with that caveat mm-hmm. being said, I, or I'm I'm just saying. Um, these these can be healthy, creative sexual outlets that are that should not be ashamed as they are in society. Because anytime you see a behavior that's so prevalent throughout time and throughout culture, we could find fetishes 300 years ago in Japan or 200 mm-hmm. years ago in the UK. Uh, you yeah. know, and and that is always a good sign to me that it's fundamental and innate to the human condition. And why should we be judging something that is natural? And BDSM can be a really healthy outlet. So Freud thought that we should subliminate our carnal habits into uh, sublimination means to take something into a healthier outlet. So we should okay. subliminate them into healthier outlets. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you have violent tendencies or violent urges uh, and it pairs with sex really well, is there a healthy way for you to have an outlet for that? Maybe not, but maybe there is, you know? Yeah. All right. What was your cult question? I'm, I'm still uh, stuck on th- <laughs> no, the, the idea of um, you said that we should not be judging. Can humans really be free of judgment? No. So... So how do how do we even deal with that issue of you know when we say people you shouldn't be judging I go yeah sure but can we ever be free of that and if not again is there a better way of doing it if anything there should be a better way of judgment No that's a great I I think it's a great question there there we can't be free of judgment because our tend because bias is innate to humans because we all mm-hmm. have our own unique subjective experience which is colored by our culture and a bunch of other things so judgment is innate but judgment over bdsm in particular does not have to be innate we can move away mm-hmm. from that for example yeah. we used to judge premarital sex a lot more than we mm. do now right yeah. yeah it's a lot more normalized in society so certain uh, certain behaviors can or i mean sh- women driving cars or you know there's some things yeah. that other cultures completely shun that that maybe once upon a time we did too but we've kind of grown out of that i'm not speaking for the whole world obviously but I, yeah. you know, this is my very American centric point of view, mm-hmm. but, but we can, I think we can move away to norm from judging BDSM. And I think we, if like, I think if we did, we'd be healthier for it because I think people would mm. be more free to express their, their id, their darker nature. Yeah. It's almost like releasing exactly. those things. Exactly. Well, it, I, I find it very interesting that it's, it's also a class thing. Um, I think it's, if you, if you look back to, I mean, uh, India's history. I'm 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 fascinated by India's history and the idea of uh, a harem. So, do you know what a harem I've is? I've heard. I'm sort of. So, harem was basically where the king and his ministers, only the highest of the highest, could you know basically indulge Engage. in debauchery. Okay. Like in the sense they could have sex with as many women. It was basically a harem was full of women. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they yeah. would be walking around, and there'd be eunuchs in there, and you'd be allowed to do anything if you were that class. And it was considered okay because it was a class thing. Mm. The king is allowed to do that. Yeah. And I think now, if we think about it, I mean, again, people like Jeffrey Epstein, like, mm. did this shit for the longest fucking time. Yep. And the judgment was not as strong until everything came out in the open. Right. But again, there were people out there who knew about this shit. And right. we're like, hey, man, maybe don't fucking do this. We always put famous people on a pedestal. Yeah, I think it's a, one of the universal consistencies in society throughout time and culture is that the powerful get away with more, right? And the, yeah. the rules yeah. don't apply to them as much. And I think that's a, I think, again, that's a power dynamic. And that's a good, that's a good example of superego versus id, too, because the rich and powerful don't have as many rules applied to them. Their money, their wealth, their power allows them to get away with more whereas you know your common person um is more beholden because they have less resources to overcome those societal standards they're more beholden to them it's an unfortunate consequence of uh, and it's an unfair you know it's kind of the root of classism and it's unfortunately something that we still see today even yeah. here in the united states oh yeah we definitely see it yeah. in the united states uh, yeah i think we do have you guys been yeah. paying but attention we see- <laughs> <laughs> so a cult question yeah I saw this documentary about this guy who kind of lived in the middle of nowhere. He married this girl, uh, a young girl, 14-year-old girl in the 60s or the 70s. And I think they were Mormons. They might have been Mormons. And uh, once he married her, then he married the mother of the girl. Oh, yeah. And then he ended up marrying another young girl and then another young girl and then another young girl. And they kind of interviewed and they're living in absolute shambles, like it's ruins. And they asked the girl, um, they were like, were you okay with the fact that you'll have to share a husband with your mother? And she was like, yeah, it's a blessing to have this person. You know, I was gobsmacked because I thought, how could someone think that? But then I thought, someone is thinking that. Many where people does that, Yeah, where does that idea come from? Cults thrive and are able to gain power over their followers by taking their followers out of society and controlling them in their own kind of ecosphere, their own little bubble. Mm-hmm. And and then once they have them isolated at a commune or Guyana, South America, or whatever it is, then they get to work mm-hmm. at taking their material possessions away. You need to tithe all your stuff to me and give me your house and give me your money and God will take care of you. And I'm the leader and I speak for God. So you got to give me all your shit, right? Mm-hmm. And all this, all this is de-empowering the follower because if you have no money, you have no things, no possessions, and you're you're more and more dependent on your leader mm-hmm. to take care mm-hmm. of you. It's just like an abuser. They 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 have power over you because you have nothing. And so mm. these kids that you're describing probably grew up only knowing that, and even their own yeah. mother is reinforcing that it's okay to do these. There is a social acceptance within their little microculture that this mm-hmm. is the way things are supposed to be. And yeah. what's a real mind trip is that you or I growing up in the same circumstances might feel the same exact way because we don't know any better. Well, I was in a cult. Really? Oh yeah, he was. Sahil was. Yeah. And it's really, as you said, like when I was in it, um, I didn't even realize. I literally did not realize. Yeah. And I was living a normal life. So I'm an actor. So all actors at some point or the other go through some culty thing. Because we as actors are more open-minded, you know, to trying out new things or experimenting or, you know, giving everything because you want to embody so many different characters. So I 
uh, joined this acting class, which was amazing, actually. The acting technique was uh, really amazing, and it was body over mind. So you would probably disagree with everything they said, and they said that the body knows better than the mind. No. And yes, well, <laughs> incorrect. Exactly. Well, it's like disagreed. The body so doesn't they, have a they, brain. The body doesn't know anything. Well, yeah, so they were exactly the opposite, and they said that every emotion it comes from a body. So when you're happy, it's actually the heart enlarging. So the acting technique was based on imagining your heart becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And mm. Yeah, so your body kind of, you know, and... I thought, oh, this is a easier way to get to your emotions rather than think of something shit that happened in your life. So they marketed it as a technique where it was biological rather than emotional or thinking about shit. Mm -hmm. And initially it was a great acting class. Like we did a lot of physical stuff, which was really interesting. Um, we would do a lot of martial arts and we would do a lot of body roles and then keep on doing it until the mind doesn't have time to think. So that's what they're saying. The most authentic acting comes when your brain's not thinking. It's just subconsciously just coming out of you. Interesting. What's yeah, interesting about interesting. your story is there's there's partial truths in a lot of Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, which is all their work was based on energy work. So they said that the room has to be black at all times so nothing leaves the room. There were no windows or nothing. Mm. They also wore black. Which People would have been all... very disorienting. Yeah, which was strange at first, but you're going, I'm going for that acting gold, right? I'll sure. become an amazing actor if yeah. I learn this technique. Well, and I, I was an actor too. I mean, they put themselves through all kinds of crazy shit as it, you know, so there's, you and, know and actors are really prone to tribalism and ritualism and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think humans in general are. Oh yeah, totally. But act, actors especially. Well, actors, so, are, actors are more in touch with their creative expressive side. So I think they're more, mm -hmm. I think they're more cognitively malleable to those kinds of ideas. Exactly. Impressionable. Right. Yeah. And there were about only five or six of us in the class and everyone had had pretty traumatic lives. But after a few months of doing the acting class, we would do a lot of talking where the teacher would tell us, look, you, you know, a lot of this frustration and this anger is because of how your parents treated you, blah, 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 blah. And then at a point we were talking about like aliens and shit and it went really, really weird and bizarre. It's funny how they almost tried to detach you from the outside world. They did. And they told us like the outside doesn't know anything. Mm. Humans outside are stupid. They're just walking without really questioning anything, which again, there is partial truth in that. Yeah. I, I agree yeah. that, you know, like pop culture, like makes you think a particular way, but it's just funny because they were also trying to get you to not question yeah. anything. When I was in it, I was convinced until someone told me they're like, dude, that sounds like a cult. I'm like, did you have an authoritarian it? leader that ruled without question? Yes. Okay. And he sat and it was really funny because he sat on a chair because he had he was an older guy in his 60s. But uh, he sat on a chair um, mounted on two mats. Whereas everyone else kind of sat on the ground. I see. And he said, <laughs> I he love had, that he had the extra mats added. <laughs> yeah, because he had back pain. Um, so did they yeah. exploit you guys in some way, emotionally, uh, financially? Well, did they take your money? Well, we were paying for classes. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. The thing that separates a cult from a religion, in, in theory, although I think those ideas are closer than people are usually comfortable with is that cults exploit their members in one way or another financially psychologically sexually uh physically mm. you know physical labor like i just interviewed a lady who had to sit there and make uh little uh dresses for a dollar a day uh and she'd work all day yeah. and then yeah. she figured out how to cut corners and make them faster so they made her redo them all so that kind of thing like a psychological uh, sweatshops uh, right sweatshops in India yeah essentially sweatshop yeah or what you'll see is like what you were talking about earlier with the, you know, the kids marrying this guy and the mom marries. So there's 
it's amazing how fast cult leaders devolve into sexual exploitation of members. It almost, it's almost universal in the way that that happens. It's like, mm. it's like once the leader has no super ego to check them anymore, they get to work. The, the first thing that always comes out is sex for some reason. It's like, that's the thing that's just under the human surface waiting to burst forth. It's a way to get immediate pleasure for the the predator obviously but it's also a way to control the follower and to exert a kind of influence and power over them so it, it serves multi-purposes sex is quite vulnerable for us as well absolutely if you think about the brain and we talked about you know instinct and we still have that instinct the brain hasn't developed that well has it as an evolutionary thing right where do you think the brain is right now <laughs> it's tempting to think that we are barbarians that haven't learned much um, and that's true in a lot of ways. And I'm often disappointed with humanity and the decisions that we make, especially as a society. At the same time, we have to remember that the modern human has only been around for a couple hundred thousand years. Most, yeah. most lifespans for any given organism is a couple million years. And so we're relatively young. The modern human is relatively young. And even within that time, so if, if human existence were on a calendar, right? The modern human lifestyle that we have now didn't come around until, I mean, you could argue what, and you want to call it the internet age and say it's 25 yeah. years. Mm -hmm. So, so how fast do you expect society to catch up to itself given the rapid speed that it's moving at? Mm. Well, give it to me fast. I don't want to wait. <laughs> I want everything like now. I like literally want it now. I like literally <laughs> want it now. You won't believe it. You won't believe it. <laughs> like people used to use that when they saw like an alien yeah, right. or saw a UFO. Yeah, like, and now you it's like about other people's lives. You yeah. wouldn't believe it. Rachel was there. <laughs> yeah, like, no, Rachel, Fuck I would believe it. I've been to the mall. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, I can believe that. Milkshakes there. I it get seems it. Plausible. Yeah, yeah, it seems plausible. Yeah, it seems at least theoretically plausible. Yeah, <laughs> totally. All right, Michael. Uh, we'll have to get you on again. Yeah. Yeah, ask me back. I'll come back. Thank you so much for your time today. You're so welcome. And again, for everyone listening, um, Unpopular Podcast. Unpopular yeah. Culture Podcast. Jesus Christ. Get it I right. was talking about our podcast. Unpopular <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> We've changed make, the name. <laughs> I don't make a boo-boo. Unpopular Culture. So we'll start again so we can edit that shit out. <laughs> no, so I again, don't think I'm going to. <laughs> everyone listening. Unpopular and, Culture uh, Podcast. You can find us on all the platforms at UPC Podcast, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Just we'll just play amazing. his ones for us as well. <laughs> we'll just so edit. Well. we'll just go. It'll be your voice. It'll go the, the mind behind it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome, guys. <laughs> I'm Michael. It's good talking to you again.